This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics, and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Erin Webster, Scheller, VP Marketing at Lucid. Erin, welcome to the Business of Us podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Terrific, Erin. Thank you for coming on the show. All right. Um, a quick experiment. Try to recall apps on your smartphone. Have you been using uh, those apps since the inception of the App Store? And now I'm not talking about the native iOS apps. No, no. Apps developed not by Apple. Can you think of any? If you do have some, at least one, it means the app hasn't lost your trust and trust of so many other people. It just works for you all. And that's why to this day, it is still on the market. Today, we were talking about one of the apps from the early days of the Apple's App Store that is still out there and has more than 2 million people using it regularly. But first, before anything else, Erin, please, what's about yourself? Yeah, it's a great intro. It's As I was hearing you, I was trying to follow along and think of apps that I had way back in the day. It's a harder thought process than you might imagine. So pretty incredible what uh, Lucid has been able to do. But I haven't been here since 2008, since the company was started. Um, I've been with the company for five years. I started in the um, more brand content social side of marketing. Um, and then mm-hmm. in the last two years, I uh, have recently taken on the full vision of our marketing engine. Uh, before I joined Lucid, I spent some time at a uh, biotech company here in Boston that was looking to make wearable technology that was more like a Band-Aid, but had the oh, functionality wow. of a Fitbit. Really cool technology. I learned a lot about a lot of different industries. Um, which is kind of where my passions lie. I went to school at Quinnipiac University and and got a degree in biomedical marketing before staying on an extra year to get my MBA. So I've always been really fascinated by the intersection of healthcare, technology, and business. Um, And so the last couple of companies I've been at have been a really fun mix of all those different elements. That's a really exciting area, Uh, biotech. uh, I think... uh... Healthcare is the remaining uh, huge industry that is yet to be disrupted in a good way. Hopefully not in the way that, you know, transportation was disrupted by Uber, but really pushing the envelope forward and, you know, making it better, more convenient and easier and more efficient for all of us. So let's talk about the Lucid, the app you guys have been growing on the market for 14 years. It's like a teenager by this day by today how did you guys start back then yeah so when apple first opened up um, the ability for third-party developers to create an application one of our co-founders jj allaire uh, was looking for a tool that he could use to help himself in his own way he had been using manual tracking and excel sheets and thought well here's this cool new platform i'm an engineer i love building things let me just see if i can build a calculator that um, works as an app and gives more value than what i do manually on my own so we kind of spun it up not really thinking too much about it as so i've been told 
and uh, was using the app for his own use, but had to publish it on the app store um, in order to you know, build the product. Um, he checked the email inbox that they had set up just because you had to set up an email right, account yeah. in order to publish exactly. an app. And uh, there were hundreds, if not thousands of emails from people who had used the product and loved it and either wanted to tell them about their success or had ideas. And I think JJ immediately realized, oh, there's a business here. Um, and so he hired Charles Teague, uh, who was our CEO for very many years, um, to turn this idea into a company. Um, and so that was, you know, again, right around the start of the App Store. Um, and since then, uh, the company has grown sustainably, um, we've grown profitably, and we've remained really small and nimble, which is one of the things that has um, really differentiated us in the fitness and weight loss app space. Um, if you know the industry, a lot of our competitors, my fitness pal Noom, have taken a much different growth route of raising a lot of money, um, right. looking to be more of that unicorn hyper growth type of strategy. And lose it stayed small. We have 46 full-time employees right now. And that's, you know, 14 years after uh, the company was started. Um, and so that's been the path for the last 14 years, as I mentioned. And actually just two weeks ago, we announced that the company was acquired, um, which is really exciting for us because the whole company was employee and founder owned. So lots of liquidity for everybody on the team. Um, and so now we're a part of the Everyday Health Group, which is a division of the publicly traded company Ziff Davis. So it's been a really interesting ride for me over the last five years. Yeah, 14 years. So it looks like this is the next stage in your uh, in your existence, the uh, adulthood, so to, exactly. so to speak. Yeah, it's yeah, exciting mm -hmm. just to pile onto that because so much of our growth has been driven by our organic acquisition. And I'll talk about this a little later on, but um, we were really finding that growing organically has been challenging over the last couple of years with the market dynamics and um, weight losses uh, changing. Yeah, so this, this acquisition, I think will really help us grow and open up a lot of new channels for us to be able to grow. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. I mean, um, if the initially your CEO didn't spot the idea for himself that was uh, for, uh, that did work for him in person, I find this story to be recurring in you know successful apps. The chances are that it's always about the personal story behind the app. Somebody's looking for a solution, just couldn't help. Of um, you know, wouldn't be great if there was an app that can do this thing for me. And it turned, turned out it didn't exist. So he or she decided, let's try to do it myself. And here we go, 14 years later, it's still there. It's still working for so many people. I think, uh, you know, many of those folks do think of this app like, you know, Uber for transportation or, you know, the notes app for, you know, taking notes, something that, you know, just regularly part of their, you know, daily life. Um, now, uh, this may, uh, you were part of the App Promotion Summit in New York City. And on the stage, you laid out seven strategies that allowed your brand not only to stay afloat for 14 years, as we've just said, but to have 2 million monthly active users. So let's walk our listeners through those and starting with what you called maintain an effective product. 
Yeah, totally. This is the heart of how Lose It has not only survived 14 years, but been successful in the process. And it really ties back to what you just mentioned, Art, that the, the company was founded on such a need of that there, there were no helpful solutions out there in the market to make calorie tracking and weight loss easier. And so that has been at the center of our mission um, since day one. So we've had over 50 million users download the product and collectively they've lost over 120 million pounds. Um, so both, right, that the product needed to be easy to use, um, but also effective. You know, weight loss is one of those things that Sure, you could maybe have fun logging your food if we made the experience totally awesome. Right. But if the scale wasn't moving, you would move on. Um, so it was it was really kind of balancing both of these sides of of delivering an effective product to users. Um, and 10 million people will open our app this year. Many of those users are returning. They've been with Lose It before uh, because weight loss is such an episodic um, experience. Um, we really needed to make sure that every time a user was coming back to the product, they were finding success, getting back in healthy habits, even if they didn't reach their goal weight, um, that they had a positive experience with the product. Um, and so we monitor average weight loss per user for all of the experiments that we run, all the new features that we develop, just to make sure that every decision we make is um, being measured against how successful our users are with that new feature. Um, by the way, uh, are you aware of any veterans of the app, people who have been using the app for years and years? Are there any folks who are from, you know, probably not the day one, but, you know, who've been using for five, six years? Oh yeah, we see them um, periodically. We have we've hired some of them, uh, oh, so our user base has been one of our best sources of recruitment. Um, and then periodically on social media, or we'll get emails of people who take screenshots every day that you log. We, you know, there's like a counter, a, a street counter, and so we'll get people like, "Here, I'm on a thousand days. I'm on you know X number of days." I think we we started the streaks a few years into the business, and there are some people that have suspiciously long streaks who maybe went back and uh, counted before it was a feature. But um, but yes, we do have some some fans who have been around for a long time, um, and they they do like to reach out. It's so fun for us to see those users and um, cheer them on along their journey. Yeah, it just goes to say that you have to stay the course. Uh, remember what the app should do for your app user. Uh, it should be a tangible thing that the, your app delivers over and over. And uh, if it's not there, if it doesn't work, no fancy graphics, your UI tricks will <laughs> trick the people to still use the app. It has to deliver. The app industry is vast. To navigate this space, you need a directory to lock up suppliers and partners, and you need to know who are the best. Visit our marketplace directory at businessofapps.com slash marketplace slash podcast. And now, back to the show. Now, let's move on. Next up is prioritize user experience. I feel like despite it's been said so much, the importance uh, can be... Um, repeated uh, let's let's uh, reinforce the importance of that specific uh, strategy uh, please tell me about the journey with the app users over the years yeah i think in order to talk about the user experience it's good to remind 
ourselves of what the goal of our users is with our product, right? Like we're not a gaming app where our goal is to, or, or the user's goal is to spend as much time as they can in the app, right? Our users are exactly. coming to lose it to spend as little time as possible in most cases, right? If it takes more mm -hmm. than 30 seconds to log your breakfast, the friction in the rest of your life is going to be a lot harder to come back in the next day. So our goal as a company and a team is to um, try to make the app as frictionless as possible um, and reduce the time um, to complete the action that the user is most likely coming in to do, which is log a food. Um, so we spent, we had an entire team um, for almost two years focused on the logging experience and the search experience to really, really get clear on um, how much we can improve that part of the user experience. Um, and so again, you know, when we experiment or um, add in new marketing features or new product features, one of the key metrics alongside weight loss that we look at is day two retention and number of foods logged to make sure that everything that we're adding into the app or changing about the app isn't negatively impacting somebody's likelihood to come back the next day or somebody's ability to log their next meal. Um, so it really is more of a mindset, right? keeping that, making sure that there's processes in place in your experiment reports or the way you build and develop products that um, the user experience is front and center. The, the other thing I'll just touch on real quick with um, user experience is the way that we think about building um, new products and features. So I mentioned that we've hired a lot of our former users. A lot of the people on staff have either used Lose It or have their own history of weight loss and so can really empathize and understand what it's like to go on a weight loss journey. Um, but not every weight loss journey is the same. And so we also um, do a lot, spend a lot of time, our, our product management team does, and talking to members, surveying them, and then experimenting. Even if we think that something's going to be awesome, we always check ourselves with experimentation to make sure that the feature that we're building really does help users in the way that we think it is. Yeah, that's that's a smart approach because this is the psychology territory. You shouldn't assume that your approach, approach of people who join your company who are dealing with this problem uh, themselves can be just replicated to how many millions of users you have for your application out there and make sure that it actually, you know, being, being able to work for people with a completely different mindset, you know, it's, um, it's, it's not all psychology. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not a technology, it's human psychology you have to yeah. you know, factor in both. Um, now, it is a familiar story for so many app developers. Some of your app user base pays you for a copy of your app. Somebody pays for an app purchase. It can be a subscription. And some use, it for, uh, use the app for free with a limited functionality. So let's talk about the next ingredient in your recipe active free user base. How have we been dealing with this, you know, paid versus free app user equation? Yes, and I love the recipe analogy. Um, this is an important ingredient. And when you look at the competitive landscape of companies that we've been, you know, competing with over the last 14 years, we've all taken very different approaches to the free <laughs> versus premium uh, landscape. Where do you draw that line? 
Um, and it, for Lose It, I think the, the early team saw early on the value of having a really robust free product that even if we weren't monetizing those users through a premium subscription, and sometimes we weren't running ads, so we weren't monetizing those users at all, but they were doing a lot of our marketing for us. They were hopefully being successful, telling their friends and family about the app, you know, the next family cookout, everyone asks, you look amazing. Um, there's a lot of free word of mouth marketing. There's customer testimonials that we lean on heavily in our PR efforts. Um, there's social interactions within the app that they are really fueling and, and building this great community within the product and even outside on external channels. So even if we weren't monetizing these users, um, we were still getting a lot of marketing value out of them. And so we've we've played with that line a little bit over the years of um, exactly what features are free and exactly what features are premium. But the strategy has remained largely the same that our free product should be able to um, allow users to be successful in a calorie tracking weight loss journey and that our premium product and any additional paid products that we develop should really be tailored to people who want to go above and beyond. So we really make sure that no changes we make to the free experience should prohibit users from being able to be successful in the weight loss journey so that we can continue to get a lot of that great marketing value out of those users. So they even, uh, I mean, uh, even the core basic product should deliver you know, what, what what you're promising, what the premise of the app. Otherwise, mm -hmm. the word of mouth will not work, and your uh, you know your trust to let people to use the app for free will not pay off because people will not be getting that experience you you want them to have, and there will be no incentive for them to share the app with somebody else because it doesn't work for me. Why should I share it with somebody else? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, tells me that there's always like two big buckets of users. Some people have a dedication time need to use the app within certain limits. There are people who are willing to commit more time. It can be even games, you know, we know, we know about, you know, the core gaming industry where people spend again, you know, the entire life on a game or just a few seconds. And that may be applicable to even like uh, you know the application you guys have been having on the market for so many years some people are um just feeling the need or have the capacity to spend that much time and they don't need any extra time to spend on the app because it just works for them for some people they really have to invest much more and there's a great you know great reason for them to pay for that extra functionality mm -hmm. now the their apps there are apps in the market that help people to deal with issues in their life, you know, like dealing with stress, sleep problems, staying in shape. So your next strategy on the list is empower and encourage. So tell me, please, what did it take to help your app users to overcome difficulties of losing weight? Yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting one and something that, again, we've seen different products in this space tackle differently. Um, but really the, the strategy behind this ingredient, if you will, is that it ties back to the nature of a weight loss journey, right? Mm -hmm. Most people who start a weight loss journey with Lose It on any given day will not reach their goal. 
most people will not lose five pounds, just the nature of how hard it is to lose weight. Um, But that doesn't mean that those people can't feel something positive about our app experience or feel proud of themselves, even if they lose one pound or realize that their favorite snack maybe isn't working towards their health goals. Or, you know, there's so many little micro goals that people um, and benefits that people can get out of starting a weight loss journey that as a company, we've really tried to think about how we can have a positive impact on those users, um, knowing that most of them will not reach their goal with us. Um, And so there's some really tactical things that we've done in the product experience to build that encouragement and engagement um, and empowerment engine. One is when you do log a weight, a weight loss, there's this little pop-up that comes up and celebrates Mm -hmm. you and relates your weight loss to a thing like 10 pounds is about the size of an average watermelon. There's this great little gift that she's like a dancing watermelon, just something fun. Right. Um, and then same thing with that streak element, right? Like if you've come in and you've logged for five days, that's something to celebrate, you know, and let, and let's put those celebration moments in the product, um, to try to help build that positive feeling, um, as users are going through their weight loss journey that we know is not not an easy thing all the time. Yeah, because it's maybe hard for many people to set reasonable goals, something that you can actually achieve um, beforehand. So once they start, start using the product and they can see what they actually achieve over the time, but that the app will start working for them, but they have, but they need to get to that point where they see like what is achievable actually, uh, what, what are their pace, what are the speed of losing weight? And you have to encourage people to continue to use the app. Don't give up. Right. That's something that we've gotten a little bit smarter at over the last year or so. We've been um, focusing more on building strong habits early on in the user experience instead of being so focused on the goal that might be six months away. Um, the uh, The best signal for success is just logging every day. You know, even if you log every day and you're not under your calorie budget, you're a lot more likely to reach your goal than somebody who is under their calorie budget for a week and then takes a week off and then comes back for a week. So we've really tried to change the way we think internally and then also build these um, like features in the product to help people with setting these habits early on in the journey so that they get used to just logging everything the weight loss will come. Um, so yeah, really interesting kind of mental shift of breaking down large goals into smaller chunks. Gotcha. Now, when you design a mobile app, uh, you always need to be able to model your app user's journey of using the, that app. Meaning what expectations should your app users have about the app at different stages? So the next uh, item on the list is uh, Key promotion times. Uh, please tell us, so what is this one about? Key yeah. promotion times. Key promotion times. It's kind of secret sounding, isn't it? Yeah. Um, similar to this idea of empowering and engaging, there are certain parts on a weight loss journey where you're feeling more motivated, more um, bought into the idea that you're going to be successful, um, and more likely to be looking for advanced feature sets i.e. an upgrade to our premium product um, to help you on your journey. And so what we've done uh, as a marketing team over the last few years is really trying out all of these different points on the user journey to see when somebody is most likely to upgrade their experience to the premium product. 
Um, and our whole marketing engine is built around those high motivation times. I'll give you an example, right? If you're starting a weight loss journey and you download a product for the first time, we ask you all these questions in onboarding. We suggest a plan that's customized to your height, your weight, your goals. Um, you're a lot more likely to buy premium on that day in that session than you are the next time you come back in, right? You're, you're big on motivation. You just downloaded this app. Like you're committing, this is going to be it. Um, so that's, that's a really clear one where we spent a lot of time testing that onboarding flow, testing that promotional experience. Um, the first session is a really important time for us because that's when most of our users are willing to upgrade to a premium product. Um, but there's other ones, right? Like you, you see your first pound lost, maybe that at that point you say, oh, wow, okay. This app actually is working for me. Um, mm -hmm. now I'm willing to commit to the $40 a year product, or maybe you come back after being away for a couple of weeks, maybe that's the time. So there's all these points on a user journey that we have found that our marketing, um, efforts land better and our users mm -hmm. are more likely to upgrade. And so, um, Again, the whole engine is built around those specific times in the user journey. Yeah, not now I see you find those high moments when the likelihood of somebody to actually commit to pay for the app are higher than average or um, some of them kind of uh, make sense uh, in general. Some of them should be worked out uh, experimentally through A-B testing, probably just to find those mm -hmm. extra points. Uh, I see now. Now, data is, you know, speaking of the doing A-B testing, data is the blood of today's economy. Somebody lamented a few years ago. Erin, tell me about your data-driven decision-making process. Any lessons you probably can share about it? Yeah. Yeah, this has been one of the things that I have learned the most at my time at Lucid, I think, as coming from the brand world of marketing, um, learning to be a lot more data-driven and the way that I think about our strategies and make decisions has been really fun uh, learning experience. Um, and something that Lose It, I, I think is pretty advanced in um, just purely because we've been around for so long, uh, so much of experimentation um, and this idea of data-driven decision-making is around finding the places where it might not be working for you as expected and then going and solving those, those problems. Um, but as a business, I'll just talk a little bit about how we've set ourselves up. Um, we have a very strong data science team um, that our growth marketing team works very closely with. Um, every experiment that we run um, is analyzed by a data scientist. Um, we get a few different statistical models to understand uh, what is happening, like what is the impact on the user experience from that treatment. Um, and each week we are running at least one new user test. So every seven days we've got a new experiment going on in the product. Could be at different places um, and on different cohorts, but um, experimentation is really um, really a part of all, our culture. Um, and I think the other thing that is really cool about how Lucid operates is that um, that data science and statistical analysis knowledge is really encouraged across the company. So not just data scientists know how to read statistical reports, the whole marketing team knows how to do that. Um, and it's something that is really part of our lexicon and the way that we make decisions at the business. 
Oh, no, no guessing, no gut feeling driven decisions, right? <laughs> Every once in a while, we'll throw one in, but uh, it's very rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see. I see. There, there, there may be a point where you, you're out of data and you have to make a decision anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, but I see it. Those moments are rare. Otherwise, you will be you will um, you will be just walking in the dark, and um, that's not a good long term business strategy to sustain in the market. Yeah, totally, should be exactly. driven decisions are being made. Now, uh, finally, every great app uh, has a great team behind that app. So the last item on your list is stay selective and nimble. So. Let's spend this uh, bit of a chunk of time talking about the team behind the app. Yeah, and this is another one of those things that I've learned a lot um, over my tenure at Lose It is I'm really good at saying no to things now. Um, the company really has a, a very strong culture of prioritization and intentionally mm -hmm. deciding not to work on things that might definitely drive value for the business, but that could be a distraction from the three or four things that we are committing to doing um, throughout the, the year. Um, and we have to be that way because of how small the team is. So 46 full-time employees, um, that is heavily weighted to the engineering team. We've got most of our employees are on the engineering side. Um, and you know, with a team that small, they're, you can't do everything. Um, and we found over the years that by trying to take on too much, we end up getting distracted and not actually making progress on the things that we wanna be moving towards. So um, the way we hire is really interesting as well. We look to hire people who have the right attitudes and maybe a broader skill set that we are able to plug into lots of different strategies um, as you know, the company kind of picks those three or four things each year to focus on um, so that we have more utility players on the team instead of really deep specialists. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that that is really at the core of, of lose its culture because we have grown slowly. We have grown sustainably, um, profitably. We've intentionally decided not to do things that maybe would, um, expedite our growth, but require us to raise a lot of capital or, um, hire a massive team. Um, and it's, it's worked out pretty well for us, I think, so far. So it'll be interesting to see how this changes, you know, as we're part of a larger organization now. Um, but I hope that this part of our culture stays stays intact. That's a great quality and sounds familiar to me. Yeah, now, now I remember where I heard it before. Steve Jobs used to say, the quality of being able to say no is very important in your business. Even if you know for sure how you're going to do it, resources, people, technology, just know that there are, there are, there are times that we have to say no uh, to certain things that you just you eagerly want to do that thing, but it's going to distract you. Just mm -hmm. be, being able to say no and just put it away. Okay, that was the last item on the recipe from your IPS uh, keynote. And now we're going to be Transitioning to the second part of the show, which is smaller, uh, but neat. It's just a quick questions I'm asking every guest on the show, so I can draw a better picture of that person for the audience. Okay, here we go. Right. Question number one, what smartphone do you have now? 
uh, have you been switching between iOS and Android or just staying one side all the time? Uh, I'm a diehard iOS fan. Um, I have an Android phone that I use to test the app, but that's the only time I'm ever on that platform. Um, I think I have an iOS 10X or something right now, but uh, very into the Apple ecosystem. Got it, got it. Uh, now, uh, back in time, do you remember your first mobile phone? <laughs> I think it was a flip phone, one of those Razer, Nokia Razer flips. It was pink. Uh, I do oh, not pink. like the color pink. It was a hand-me-down from a cousin, so it was, uh, but it was a phone, yeah. so I was super excited about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can imagine Razer back, back in those days. It was cool. Um, imagine right now you've left your smartphone at home when you're out. Uh, what would be the most missing feature for you? Uh, it would be Spotify. I am constantly listening to music and podcasts, um, and so not having that I would notice immediately I didn't have my phone because it was quiet. <laughs> gotcha. So something is missing. Um, what new app technology uh, on your smartphone, um, software, hardware, or both, you go like, wouldn't it be great if that thing can do this? Uh, not necessarily more, probably something that will help you to um, just um, use the, your phone better do something for you that that is not capable of doing this is right an now. interesting question i think that the thing i'm most excited about um is that the phones get smarter or the operating systems get smarter about um operating in a specific way for where you are at that point in your day or your week or your life like one of my favorite things I just set up recently is like the work mode and all the do not disturb settings where right. I only get the notifications I want when I'm at work and everything else that I will look at when I get home, I don't even see, I don't even get distracted by anymore. I feel like that's a direction that that we're really heading because the, the, the products have obviously so much potential, right? Unlimited things that you could do on them that I think we're seeing the market shift to say, okay, we recognize that you might have 50 apps on your phone, but you're not going to look at them every day. So Absolutely. let's show you the recommendations that we know you're most interested in right when you wake up in the morning or during your work day or as you're winding down at night or on the weekends versus the weekdays. I'm really excited about that personalization and customization of how the phones deliver information to you uh, throughout, throughout your day. Right. So the smartphone as a device has been going on this path from being very limited in this functionality, just a few things it can do for you back in the day. And gradually it just became to add more and more stuff. And now we're at the point where it's just too much. If you're not regulating this, this beautiful thing in your pocket, it's just gonna ruin your life. You have to get your life back and uh, use restrictions. Yeah, again, being able to say no at certain things and <laughs> smartphones should be able to help you with that. Yeah, and sometimes you need a process because it's so hard to say no, that Instagram notification comes up. I don't always have the self-control. So I love that Apple's like, I got you. I just won't even show it to you when you're at work. <laughs> it's great. Right. That's smart. Okay, before I let you go, just a very final question. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Yeah, I think LinkedIn and Twitter are probably the two best places. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as my full name, Erin Webster Schaller. Um, and then on Twitter, EEWebs um, is where you can find me. That's great. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for coming on the show. Bye-bye. Thanks, Art.
And that was Erin Webster, Scheller, VP Marketing, and Lose It. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.